Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I am your host here always, Chris Flaming. And today I have the honor of welcoming Alana Fallis to the show. She is an employee champion and change agent who implements HR strategies that drive results. She specializes in working through company policy changes and handling those oh-so-delicate HR situations that sometimes occur. Alana, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Good. Well, I like excited guests, so let's keep going. <laughs> let's jump in. So I'm sure you have an interesting history. Uh, yeah. Take me through what led you to the position that you're in now. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I always used to get the feedback when I was interviewing, oh, you have such an eclectic background. And I think it's okay. true. <laughs> I actually started back in my heyday as an actress. I got my BFA um, in theater from a theater conservatory where we did really just movement and voice and and acting. So my education was very theater focused. And then when I graduated and I moved to New York City to start my career, I made I knew that I had to work to make money and I knew that I didn't want to do something that felt really out of alignment with my passions or or something that would would not make me happy, right? And I thought to myself, okay, what do I like doing, right? I love personal development. I love communication and acting is very much the study of communication and the study of human behavior. So how can I parlay those things into a different kind of career? And so I made the transition to what I call my artsy bohemian life to my direct deposit life. (laughs) And I took a roundabout pathway. I started my first gig was at a restaurant um, uh, doing administrative work in an office and helping recruit. And then I slowly took on more and more HR duties. And so now I'm running people operations at a tech startup uh, called Quantum Metric. So yeah, that's how I got where I am. Okay. I'm sure that's things are always changing with startups. You gotta... Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I really love working in startups. And I feel like it's a continuation of that kind of problem solving mm-hmm. and creative energy. And, um, you know, I, I always say, so, you know, there, I think there's kind of a stigma about HR or a kind of stigma about a traditional HR person. And I always say, I, I probably wouldn't be successful doing HR at like JP Morgan or like a big financial institution, right? So right. so my style and, and what brings me passion is building and solving problems. Um, but yeah, oh, every day is a different a different something. It's uh, I'm never bored. That sounds like you're in the right spot. So something that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started out and you changed industries. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that all of the skills that you already have 
are marketable and they're valuable. And a lot of my peers, I think, who graduated in a similar position from a creative industry thought, oh, oh my goodness, I have a degree in acting. I have no skills whatsoever. But you do. You know, you have interpersonal skills. You have organizational skills. You have sometimes content writing skills, right? So it's about identifying which of your skills are marketable and, and then kind of moving in that direction. So everyone has a foundation of something that they're good at, and it's about tapping into it. I like how you said that. So is there something that you like best about your career right now, currently? Hmm. I like that I'm never bored. I like that I get to, uh, in my role now specifically, we're getting to build an HR program from the ground up and it's super fun. It's long hours, but it's, it's a lot of fun and we get to kind of create an employee experience that is valuable and fun. So yeah. So you're not, you're not coming in and having to fix things. You're kind of being able to mold it from <laughs> the ground up and into something sure. you'd like to see. Sure. Well, sometimes I have to fix things, you know, the way you, so, so my company is undergoing this period of huge dynamic, uh, you know, exponential growth. And so a year ago today, we were, I think something like 150 people and now we're 360 mm. and soon we'll be 500. So the way you did something at a 50 person company is not the way you do something obviously at a 350 person company and so on, but no, yes, it's mostly building as opposed to uh, fixing something that isn't, isn't working. All right. So you, you alluded to this, this a little bit ago. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about change in an organization or just like what you do? Yeah, um, I think I did kind of allude to this, but this idea that you have to start over, right? So if you're thinking about organizational change, I used to have a great CPO, chief people officer, who would say culture is either created or it emerges and it also kind of emerges anyway, no matter what you do. Right. So if you are undergoing, <laughs> so if you are undergoing change management in an organization, it's about kind of surveying the sentiment across the organization and keeping the things in place of the culture that is natural to the people there and that have already emerged. So you really don't have to start over. And, and even from like a personal employment standpoint or a personal career standpoint, you're never really at zero. And it always feels like you are, but you're never really at zero. Hmm. Okay, so are there unique challenges that you often face when a ch when a change is necessary? Yeah, certainly there is resistance sometimes about doing things in a legacy way or fear about taking chances. Startups tend to be very high risk, high reward. So, but I also think that is you know starts from the top down in terms of how you create the culture do you do you empower people to take chances and do you empower people to swing big and you know this doesn't work for every organizational style it works in the in the mid-sized organizations that i've been in but there's certainly sometimes people can be fearful of change but a change management initiative has to be strategic and intentional and start way before the change is announced, if that makes sense. The planning mm -hmm. for the change, it's about really, really transparent communication. It's about really clear communication. And it's about talking to people on the ground to see how they how they feel and how they will be impacted. So mm -hmm. change management starts from way before you announce something is changing, for sure. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about communication in a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm curious now, what kind of skills do you think are needed when dealing with delicate human resources situations? Like yeah. without sharing personal information, if you could give maybe an example. Yeah. Let me think of an example without giving personal information. Well, listen, right? Delicate human resources situation that I encounter all the time is having to let people go. Mm. It's no one's favorite conversation. 
I've performed probably hundreds of them at this point. So I always say that I hope I never get too used to it. You know, it's, it's not something that I want to just be a nothing, but you have to be, I made mistakes early in my career where I would get flustered or try to um, let the person know that it was going to be okay, you know, and try to help them frame to say that this wasn't that bad, you know, and that's a mistake. You don't want to do that. You want to let people have their reaction, but in terms of, you know, qualities that make those conversations successful. You definitely have to steer the conversation. You have to be empathetic, obviously, and put yourself in in the person's shoes who's receiving the news. Um, But you're there to give them information that they need. And that's always what I tell myself. And the information that they need is that today is their last day and, and the rest of the details are coming. So you have to be really straightforward with people. You have to make sure that they get the information that they need and you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes. And, and it's never easy, but um for the most part, you're ruining their day and you're not ruining their life. You know, right. it's just, it's a difficult conversation, but they're, but they are going to be okay. So let's, let's switch gears and kind of flip that. Can you tell me about one of your most satisfying uh, human resources wins oh. or successes Yeah, you're especially proud of? Two jobs ago, I implemented this program called the People Partner Program, very into alliteration, um, at a different tech startup, was essentially about um, pairing manager support, uh, pairing HR support for managers in a rapidly scaling business. Mm -hmm. And I found that it was very successful. Um, We organized basically an HR rep to each department, had them meet with um, monthly with managers, give a business agenda. And the goal of the program was twofold. A, we would give the managers, the business agenda, things they needed to know about going on in the business so that everyone was aligned in terms of what our goals are and what, you know, what's going on this month. And people felt that they were receiving information more consistently. And on the other hand, we wanted to receive feedback from managers about what was going on in their team, if there was a performance issue to know about, but also what people were saying on the ground. And so it was a really two-way beneficial program where we got to hear from managers and they got to hear from the business. So that's something I'm proud of. That was a, okay. that was a successful initiative. Great. So let's go. We talked about communication earlier. I'm I'm curious what your opinion is on the role that communication plays in the successful implementation of human resources policies. Mm -hmm. And what I'd like you to kind of go through is, is if it doesn't happen well, what is the negative consequences of that potentially? And if it it goes really well, what, what, how can that benefit the implementation of a, of a change? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is about buy-in, you know, and buy-in from the people who it's going to affect. And and I think we've all been in this situation as an HR practitioner where you create a policy on paper and then you, and then you roll it out. And uh, the people who have to do it are like, wait, what? <laughs> we didn't agree to that, you know, and that's, that would be a failure, right? Because then people don't know about it. Other, uh, you know, people not knowing about it is a failure, but not a failure, right? But like a learning opportunity. Um, so communication obviously is really important. Um, getting buy-in from the people it affects. I'm a big fan of focus groups, getting key people from different departments in a room and saying, hey, we have this coming. What are your thoughts? How would this affect your team? Focus groups, surveys, anything that you can do to A, you know, gather some sentiment from employees, but also um get people excited if, if that's applicable. Sometimes policies are not very exciting, but sometimes they are. Um, if it solves a pain point, then it's exciting. So to that end, I think what makes it successful is people know about the policy and follow it, adhere to it, and it solves a pain point for at least a large 
portion of people in the organization or a significant portion of people in the organization. I think what makes it not successful is if people don't know and they say, well, that that is just additional yellow tape for me and they don't understand the why. So at the end of the day, the communicating of the why beyond any, anything we do, I think, as employers or, or business representatives is, is a key thing in getting people on board for something. Mm, okay. Then let's get into some of the details. Um, what do you see or what do you feel like when you look across the scope of human resources offering benefits and things like that that can be offered at a company, what do you see as being the things that people are really desiring right now in in your organization and, or just in general? That's a good question. And I think definitely the philosophy around employee benefits and, and what to offer is changing. I just read the best quote in the Harvard Business Review. Hopefully I can capture it. It was like, Benefits used to be about work-life balance, and now benefits are about managing the employee's life experience. And I think, you know, post-COVID, now that we have a huge dispersion and and people working from home full-time and moving all around, people want benefits that are going to make their lives easier. So that looks like, you know, I don't know if this is in every industry, but certainly in the tech industry, flexible or unlimited PTO is a big rising thing, a big controversial topic if we can't put a cap on the number of, you know, days that people can take off paid. But other than that, I'm seeing benefits get more creative. So I'm seeing for certain industries, not just more robust parental leave policies as in paid maternal and paternity leave, but um, childcare on site or a stipend for childcare in companies that are mostly virtual. We're seeing things like gym stipends or gym membership as benefits. We're seeing things like financial financial advice or financial consulting. One of of your guests was recently talking about about that benefit as a benefit, if I remember correctly. So it's more about, it's less about the traditional work-life balance. It's more about giving employees tools that help them manage their own lives at home. So it's a a big shift in the way we think about how we compensate and uh, reward employees and retain them. Yeah, I think you're right, especially post-COVID. It's uh, made us re-look at a lot of things in all areas of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, what would you say, Alana, is your biggest life accomplishment so far? This could be either personally or professionally. What a big question. My biggest life accomplishment. I'm going to give you a kind of two-part answer. And, and it was about, yeah, and I think it was about kind of breaking the ceiling of what I thought was possible for myself. And so for one, again, I graduated with my BFA in acting and I moved to New York City and I started waiting tables and nannying and tutoring. And I was working three jobs at once, living in a tiny, you know, 100 square foot room with five roommates in Washington Heights. And I thought, oh, goodness, you know, I'll never make money is what I thought about myself. And I come from uh, parent, parents who have two very differing uh, philosophies on money as well. And, and I never saw for myself the ability to be financially successful or professionally successful, even, even more importantly. So, so that's one. And then two is that I am a born and bred New Yorker and I moved to Florida uh, in October of last year. So I've been here for about a year. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, growing up in New York, we all have a toot about it as the best place in the world. And I, and I still love it. But I, I never saw myself uprooting my life and trying something else. I saw having a certain kind of life for myself. And now I have a different kind of life. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. There's no <laughs> yeah. right or wrong answer. Okay. <laughs> That's what so I mean. outside your business world, your business life, mm-hmm. is there something that you are really passionate about personally? Yeah, I think in alignment with my business life, but certainly personally, it's like living a life of purpose and intention. Mm -hmm. And 
I certainly try to make time to exercise and read and develop myself and, you know, practicing mindfulness is very important to me. So I think how that translates professionally too is about, um, I've always said, if we have to work, which we do, um, let's make it a good experience. Let's make right. it a really positive experience. So that's how it ties in professionally. But personally, that's that's really important to me too. Yeah, life's too short, right? Life's too short to show up and do something you don't want to do for nine right. hours a day. Yeah. yeah. Is there someone or something that you follow or read regularly? There is. I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. Are you talking about like from that for on the yeah. mindfulness front? Yeah. No. Okay. There's or it, there's yeah, this, it could be that or it could be, yeah. There's this app I subscribe to, um, this website I subscribe to called One Commune, and I highly, highly recommend it. And they have all different content on wellness that I take. You can take these different bite-sized courses. So mm-hmm. um, I took a course on uh, the nutrition of the gut recently. Still mm-hmm. not an expert, but I took an interesting course on it. I took a cool course they had on walking meditation. I really can't sit and meditate. I wish I could, but I feel like the more I resist it, the more I need it, but it's really not for me. So I like walking meditation um, and then like physical stretching. So it's a, I devote, I try to devote 15, 20 minutes a day to doing something other than work Um, and also not something to advance in some way. Like I used to think that going to the gym was kind of my, it's not leisure. That's to advance my health or to advance, you know, how I look. So I try to make time in my schedule. I just picked up tennis lessons in Florida to make time for something that is just absolutely unrelated to work or trying to advance yourself in some ways, something that Mm. is highly important. Yeah. Okay. So in that growth, what do you see as the biggest challenge for the business right now? Is it And also the biggest challenge for you, if that growth is exponential, the biggest challenge for you leading the age human resources and what's going to occur. Yeah, I think what we're going to be facing is managers and people who are moving through an upward trajectory quickly and may not have all of the tools at their disposal to manage their teams um, or may not have all the training necessary to manage their team. So we're seeing people, you know, promoted through quickly and advancing in, in scope and hierarchy who might need additional support. And then that's, I think, from the kind of culture perspective, but also, you know, we're expanding internationally, we're growing in the UK. And so there's always more considerations when you're in different countries from a, you know, logistical and tactical perspective. So, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that we are on top of all that. And, and in terms of a culture perspective there, bridging the gap between um, the UK and the US and wherever other countries we expand to uh, internationally, we want to make sure we have a consistent employee experience. It's easy when there's 50 people, but if there's 500 people, a thousand people, how do you ensure a consistent employee experience the whole way through? So do you think there's anything that I should have asked you about that I didn't? I don't know specifically. I feel like we had a really good conversation, but I would also say though, that if you know, and it's funny because when I got the, you know, the note about being on this podcast, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not a financial advisor. How am I going to talk about the confident retirement? (laughs) I can talk about the joyous nine to five, but I don't know how I'm going to talk about the confident retirement. Right. But I think in terms of, you know, tying it all together, there is always opportunity for someone to make a change into something that they feel like brings them joy and and is a better experience for them. And, you know, 
if I had to give, you know, listeners any advice about if there's someone out there wanting to make a career change, it's all mm. about finding the intersection. It's all about finding the intersection of what you're good at, right? Like what people ask you for help with, what your strengths are, what you enjoy and where there's opportunity. And so as you look for opportunities that capitalize on your current strengths, you want to find that intersection between where there's opportunity as in what makes you money so that you can confidently retire, uh, what you enjoy and uh, what you're good at. So that's, that's just the other thing that I mentioned. Yeah, That's great advice, Alana. I like how you said that. No, really, that's really good. So if people wanted to learn more about you or check you out, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So I am a contributing writer on a digital publication called People Managing People. I just posted an article about um, putting employees in the driver's seat of career development. So go check that out. And then, um, yeah, find me on LinkedIn, Alana Fallis. Shoot me a message. And I'm always happy to chat and network and meet people. Okay. And the final question, can you give us your top three Netflix picks right (gasps) now? Oh, man. (laughs) I'm so glad you asked me this. Okay. All right. So uh, number one, Squid Game. If nothing else, because it's the cultural zeitgeist. So you got to know what people are talking about. Squid Game. It's really good. Uh, Number number two, it's not Netflix, it's HBO, but um, Succession. One of the best shows to come out in the last 10 years. And then number three, this is a big deal question. So I got to make sure I answer it properly. Um, I just started a series that I love that a lot of people might not know about called I'm Here, which it's the drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race go to small towns in middle America and put on drag shows and, and kind of connect with the LGBTQ community in small towns. And it's just mm. it's just really fabulous and touching. So that's my surprise number three. All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank I encourage you. everyone to check those out. All right. Alana, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been thank a true you. pleasure to interview you. And folks, we've been here with Alana Fallis. Thank you all for listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we raise the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level one show at a time. Thanks for listening and watching. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.